Take your Bibles and turn to, to Numbers chapter 13. This morning is a different message. This morning I am sharing my testimony with you. Um, but turn first to uh, Numbers chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse uh, 26, and we'll probably skip a few verses and uh, um, jump ahead. This is a cautionary tale. I would love to be able to get up here and brag to you about how we have followed God so well in our ministry life. This, this really will begin just a couple of years, three years after we got married, and, and carry us all down through really today. Uh, but it's a cautionary tale. Choosing the wilderness is what I titled my testimony, uh, a testimony of saying no to God. And that is not a positive thing. Uh, like I said, th this is not uh, do it this way. This is how you don't want to do it at times. Occasionally we got it right. You'll see what I'm talking about as I, I move through it. Uh, read with me first. Let's set the background for the, uh, the, the title, Choosing the Wilderness. Uh, in Numbers chapter 13, the spies, 12 spies, have gone into the promised land, and they have seen that it is an impressive place. And now they have come back, and they're giving their report in verse 26 of Numbers 13. It says, The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire, uh, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. Look how wonderful God's plan is for us. However, verse 28, The people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also uh, saw the descendants of Anak there. Goliath's family. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours an inhabitants. its inhabitants. You see how they started off, the, well, you know, giants and their fortified cities. But now the land devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. To ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers and we must have seen the same to them. Chapter 14, and the whole community breaks into loud cries. The people wept that night. All of Israel is, is panicked. There's no way we can do this. Uh, Moses and Aaron know what's going on. Verse 11 of chapter 14, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? And how long will they not trust me, trust in me, despite all the signs I have performed among them? And then he pronounces some judgment. Moses intercedes for them. He does not kill them uh, as the uh, Lord wanted to. He will not uh, leave them unpunished. 
he says, verse 20 of Numbers 14, I have pardoned them as you requested, yet as surely as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. And they went into the wilderness. Well, this is a testimony this morning of a particular part of my life. As I said, it's generally going to be from 2003 to 2011, and this is really our life. Uh, Etta ought to be sitting up here uh, with me so I can hear her better when she corrects me. Um, but uh, it, it's about us. It's not just about me. But that's generally. We're going to go back a little bit, and we're going to come past that a little bit. This, if you want a, a location timeline, this would be from Clarksville, Texas to Nixon, Texas, primarily. It's a testimony of saying no to God and then learning to say yes uh, through a series of uh, unfortunate events. Uh, just to begin at the beginning, I got saved when I was uh, 10 years old, State Boulevard Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, and uh, was baptized there as a teenager, had some I think what are pretty typical doubts, and, and God solidified my salvation when I was a teenager. At the age of 15, I accepted the call to the ministry. I, I knew God was calling me. I talked to my music minister at my church at the time, which was First Baptist Church of Fairhope, Alabama. I uh, talked to him, and he uh, counseled me, and, and uh, I think I've told you before, my uh, response to God calling me into the ministry was I accepted it pretty quickly and easily. I wanted to be a veterinarian. That was my plan. I was looking at all the good Cal colleges of the South, Auburn, Mississippi State, and LSU, as to where I wanted to go to learn to be a veterinarian. And uh, God called me away from that, and I said, great. I don't want to be a preacher, and I can sing, so you must want me to be a minister of music. And for five years, that's the direction I went until God clarified the calling, or I listened to him better, I would say, and understood when I was 20, he was calling me to be a pastor. My, uh, my first, I, I had a few churches, music and youth, or that sort of thing, uh, along, in two, to the thousand, uh, 2000 was when Etta and I got married, and then 10 months later, in October, God called me to Clarksville, Texas, First Baptist Church, Clarksville, Texas. This would have been my first full-time church position. Um, we moved up there in October of 2000, uh, of 2000, and we settled in pretty quickly. We were there for nearly three years. While we were there, Jamie was born. Uh, he was born in Paris, Texas. Um, they do have an Eiffel Tower, and it does have a cowboy hat on it. But that's where he was born. That's his, uh, his, his claim to fame at the moment. Um, in about May, uh, probably earlier, about March of uh, 2003, and we were expecting Jamie, uh, I realized or was told, hey, finances at the church aren't good. Um, my position needed to go to part-time. They were going to give me, and officially did, in six months, uh, give me in May six months to transition. Time to, you know, you've got time to find somewhere. We lived in a parsonage, so uh, we were 
we were okay for, for a little while, but you need to find somewhere else to go. So I got laid off for, from that church for those financial reasons. And at the time, as Etta and I prayed, I think some, uh, we felt like God was then leading me to be a pastor. It was time to, to leave music and youth and, and, and go on and be a pastor. So I began to look that direction. And there was a little church, uh, little church in a little town, town of Como, Texas. Uh, Como is outside of Sulphur Springs, if you know anything about East Texas. The town itself probably had about seven, 800 people. Uh, the church probably had 25 or 30, and it was a, a part-time position. So we were going to, and by this time we had a baby, a month, uh, month old maybe, or very close to having him anyway. Um, to go there, I would have had to have worked a second job, probably a full-time job, while I pastored the church. And Etta and I talked about it and decided it would be hard. That was it. It would be hard. About the same time, I heard from uh, First Baptist Church of Galveston, Texas, a Baptist cathedral in, on, on the island, a, a suburb of Texas, um, as I would call it, and they kind of see themselves that way too. A church that, whose sanctuary held 1,500 people. Now, forget that they only had about 140 coming to church on Sunday morning. Let's overlook that. 1,500 people. This was, this was, wow. I was, Galveston wants me. Music and education, though, not pastor. And because Como would be hard, we chose Galveston. And that was the beginning of us choosing the wilderness. It was clear to us God was calling us to First Baptist Church, Como, Texas, to be the part-time pastor and, and see where it went from there. We did not take it. We said no. And we took what was going to be the easy route. Now, let's go back to our Israelite friends standing on the edge of the promised land. They didn't want the hard route, the route that God had called them to. They wanted the easy route. For them, I think in their minds, was probably going back to Egypt. That was the easy route. Well, they didn't get that either. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. We began our wilderness wandering in July of 2000 when we moved to Galveston. Immediately upon moving there, we realized, hey, cost of living is not something that my full-time position, but not you know, uh, uh, an incredibly high-paying one, can support. So one of our concerns, if we had gone to Como, was that Etta might have to work, and we might have to put Jamie, our new baby, in daycare. So we moved to Galveston and quickly realized that Etta had to work, and we had to put Jamie in daycare. Now, it was just a few hours a day. It wasn't a full-time job, but it was not what we wanted to do. I'm going to try to condense some of this. There are a lot of details. Six months later, I left Galveston, left First Baptist Church. The pastor and I uh, announced our resignations the same Sunday. His resignation uh, to go and be a church planter in Baton Rouge precipitated my resignation because I knew just the circumstances that were going on. If he left, I wasn't going to be there much longer, and it wasn't going to be necessarily my choice. So I left. 
You know what Galveston was? Hard. It was hard. We went to Galveston to get out of getting, uh, to get away from hard, and we found hard. I got a phone call about a month before we left from a church that had actually called me while I was still in Clarksville, but things didn't work out for me. They called another guy uh, instead of me. Uh, he was there three months, then he left, and that should have been a clue, but it wasn't. Uh, that church was in Viter. They called me, Viter, Texas. They called me, and I told the pastor, you are an answer to prayer, which is ironic since I wasn't praying, um, but that's what I told him. So we went to Viter. It was not easier. Uh, when we got there, we were paying rent on our apartment in Galveston because we broke our lease. We were having to pay rent where we were. So I worked two jobs. I started delivering pizzas and thus began a long career delivering pizzas. Uh, we got there right at the perfect time for Etta to get a job in the, in the school board. It was semester break, people leave, we knew people, we had uh, a school board member in our church and friends of other school board members, this was going to be a piece of cake, and Etta could not buy a job in that area. It was awful, and it was hard, and we were there for six months. This makes for a great resume, by the way, let me tell you. At the end of, toward those six months, uh, it was clear that the pastor was not happy with me. I was not happy with the pastor. Things, it was, it was bad. Uh, I told the pastor, hey, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll leave in two weeks. Gave my two weeks notice. That was, so I've got a Sunday, and then another Sunday, and then a week of vacation. That's how I was going to do my last two weeks. That Sunday morning that would have begun my two weeks, pastor comes to me before uh, church on Sunday and says, hey, why don't you just don't worry about next Sunday. Just let this be your last Sunday. We'll pay you. I'm like, okay, no problem. Sounds good. So we get up, we do the service. After the service that morning, I'm thinking I've got Sunday night still to do. He comes to me after church says, hey, tell you what, why don't you just make that service your last service you don't even have to come back tonight. So I didn't get to tell the church bye. I didn't really get to even announce that I was resigning or anything. Um, we weren't the best of friends, right? So it, it, it was awful. And you know what else it was? Hard. I think, no, I don't think I know. That's when we began to get the message. And we began to pray. We knew, okay, hey, life is horrible right now. This is, this is miserable where did we go wrong? I don't think we knew yet we had gone wrong at Como, but we knew we had gone wrong. So we really began to pray. And, and at that moment, the, the one thing we knew, we felt like God was leading us, was he wanted me to go to seminary full-time. Let's get seminary out of the way is what we felt. And my two options, really, I was well into my seminary education through Southwestern. So Fort Worth or Houston were the only two places I could go and, and finish completely. We felt Houston was the direction. I was going to seminary during the summer. This was before we moved, but we knew we were leaving. I brought back a little pamphlet to the house to show Etta about a ministry called Apartment Life, where you, you live in the apartment for rent-free, uh, rent 
uh, and you are the, you're a, a missionary to the apartment complex by being their social director. I won't explain all of it, but that's, that's really the way it works. I brought, excuse me, I brought that little pamphlet back to Etta that I'd gotten at seminary. She looked at it and said, nope, and handed it back to me. I said, okay. About a week later, she came back and said, let's talk about that apartment life. You know why? We were praying. We were seeking God, and, and she heard from him. So we decided, yes, that's what we needed to do. They lost our paperwork. Um, they said we were going to move, but we didn't know where because we fell through the cracks. Um, in the meantime, she needed to get a job because she was going to have to work, and we were going to have to put Jamie in daycare. She called a school in Dickinson, south of Houston, uh, on a Monday morning. It was where a friend of ours in Galveston had worked, but they had moved back to Mississippi, and said, hey, I'm friends with this woman. Do you have a job opening coming up this fall? And she, she expected in the summer, this part of the summer, to get the, uh, the secretary. Instead, she got the principal. And the principal said, oh, yeah, we got a second grade position coming open this fall. You're friends with so-and-so? Yeah. Can you come in tomorrow to interview? Sure. So Etta went for her interview, 30, 45-minute interview with the principal and the vice principal, and they take her and give her a tour of the school and say, now this will be your classroom, and this will be the area you're working in. Notice the verb, this will be. She had gotten the job in 30 minutes. Okay, God, we see what you're doing here. We didn't know where we were going to live yet. We actually had the U-Haul when it was time to leave. She got the job about a month before we left, I think. We had the U-Haul. We were loading it up on Friday and Saturday, Sunday, uh, we had off, <laughs> um, so uh, we were moving Monday morning. The truck had to be back where we were taking it Monday morning. We found out Saturday what apartment we would be living in Monday night, uh, but we trusted. We waited, and God answered. Um, when we moved to Houston, we lived in the medical center down there for a year. I delivered pizzas. Um, Sunday nights, I was the closing manager. She got up about 5.15 to get her shower and get ready for work because Dickinson was a good 45-minute to an hour drive away. There were some Monday, Monday mornings I got home from work as she was in the shower. Um, the perk was there was a Shipley's on my way home and the donuts were always hot. But you know what Houston was? Hard. But we were in the middle of God's will at this point, at, at least as much as we could be in the midst of the wilderness. We were praying, we were hearing, we were doing. Uh, about a year later, uh, we did our ministry there. Um, I was leading worship at seminary uh, in April uh, of, now it's 2005. Um, and the, the preacher that day, it was his first time to preach at seminary chapel. And his dad came to listen to him. His dad was a pastor in Kingwood, just north of Houston. And, and I had seen, didn't, didn't connect him with what I saw on the bulletin board, but on the bulletin board, they were looking for a worship leader at this church that was meeting in a shopping center. And I, I don't want anything to do with a shopping center church. That's a mad preacher who left, and now he's starting his own thing, is, was in my mind. He comes to uh, the, the, the chapel service, after the chapel service, after I've led worship, he comes up to the piano and says, uh, he's South African. I'm not going to try to, to do his accent. Um, he said, I'm, I'm David Lino. Uh, I'm pastor up at uh, Faith Family, and I think you're our next worship leader. 
And I said, well, it's very nice to meet you, but I think you're wrong. Um, and I meant it because we had committed to our second year in apartment life. We were waiting on God to find us. We weren't going to look for anything. I mean, that was a commitment we had made, and we were found for this position. Um, we prayed about it. Uh, there were some warning signs about it, uh, talking to folks in the area. But we prayed about it. We felt like that's where God was leading us, and we saw some great family opportunities for ourselves. Uh, I, I do look back now and wonder if that's where we were supposed to go at that moment. Um, because, again, at that time, we began to feel like, okay, Michael, it's time to be a pastor, not, not worship leader. So I wonder um, if it was the right move, because uh, 16 months later, I got fired from that church. Now, this pastor had been the pastor of a much larger church for, for quite some time, and uh, I, I was not the first minister he had fired. Uh, reasons were given, uh, but they replaced me with a part-time guy, so I, I have some maybe uh, opinions about that. So you know what I did? Worked at Domino's. Uh, I, I got real good at uh, delivering pizzas. But you know what Kingwood was? Now, we thought we were supposed to be there. We were pretty sure we were supposed to be there. But you know what it was? Hard. So when I got fired, okay, now there's no doubt. I'm, it's time to be a pastor. I, I know this. So pastors are just like any other job. You send resumes. Sometimes you don't have to, but a lot of times you do. So I literally sent resumes from Hungary to Hawaii and everywhere in between. We got to the point right then where we were saying, okay, God, wherever you want us to go, we were kind of beginning to get the hang of this and, and get the feel. And uh, we had five conversations between me being fired in October and making a final decision in February of now 2007, five conversations about church planting. And we laughed at all of them. I mean, that's great for somebody else, but that is not what God's calling us to do. Until after the fifth conversation, and I can't give you all the details of, of how those conversations worked, but we fought it for four months. Yeah, four months. That's no way God is calling us to do this. God, you're nuts. We are not church plant people. It's not, it's not us. It's not not us. And we could not get away from it. So we began the process of planting a church. I worked sometimes two to three jobs, as many as three jobs while we did that. Yeah, one of them was delivering pizzas. And then we get to the end of our four years, three years of prep work to plant the church, about uh, one year of services, uh, five months, uh, six months of once a month, six months of month, uh, six months of monthly services, and we fail. Well, it didn't shock me too much, but uh, we really questioned at the end of that, God, why would you lead us to do something we clearly knew, knew you were telling us to do that we were going to fail at? And he said, did I tell you to do it? We said, yeah. Did you do it? Yeah. Then you didn't fail. You did what I told you. It's a hard, bitter pill to swallow because, you know, I, of course, had visions of what we were going to be. You know what church planting is? It's hard. It's hard when you have a house. It's hard when, you, when other things are going great. But here we were working me, teaching school, delivering pizzas, and planting a church at this time. Now, that ends in uh, April of 2011. 
I was sending resumes to Antarctica at this point. I didn't care. God, wherever you want me, the moon, it does not matter. Here is uh, what, you know, there, no, no restrictions, no stipulations. I will go wherever you tell me. And he ends up sending me about three hours from Houston to a little town called Nixon, Texas. I was finally a pastor like I had been told to be eight years earlier. Eight years from when I told God no to when I finally truly surrendered everything. And he said, now, are you going to do what I told you to do to begin with? For me, and I, people laughed when I told this in Nixon, Nixon was our promised land. There was a guy a couple of miles away that sold honey. Uh, there were a lot of cows, but they were beef and not milk. So uh, the whole flowing with milk and honey thing didn't quite work. And when you look around, it doesn't look like a promised land. But trust me, for us, it was because we were finally, we finally felt like, we finally knew we were where God told us to be. We had finally said yes. While there, That wasn't supposed to happen. We said yes to... Uh, shoot. I'm wasting time, dang it. We said yes to fostering and adopting. <laughs> Which is hard. We saw some growth in the church. That blurb wasn't supposed to do that to me. Uh, we saw some growth in the church. We saw some decline in the church. Didn't matter uh, that it was our promised land. It was still hard. I mean, if we went, kept on reading through numbers, uh, judges, Joshua judges, even when they went into the promised land, it was hard. And then sulfur calls. It was, I sent my resume. I mean, it's not like y'all found me out of the middle of nowhere. But I've told you, well, I mean, you kind of did find me out of the middle of nowhere. Nixon is close. Uh, some wonderful people in Nixon, but it's a long way from everything. Uh, after the first interview with the search committee here, uh, I think I've told you this before, I knew God was calling us here. I had no doubt. I, I, I was, we were open to wherever. Again, it did not matter where God called us, uh, but he was calling us to home-ish. You know, Louisiana, I, I'd lived here for 11 years in Baton Rouge, went to LSU. So this was a lot like coming home from me. So I knew right where I was supposed to be. Uh, I had no doubt. But you know what it still is? Hard. Y'all are hard. I'm hard. Sulfur's hard. Life is hard. Uh, as y'all know, we said yes to while here to trying to adopt another child, and at this up to this point, it's not worked out for us. Uh, y'all, a lot of y'all know we had court Friday morning, which was uh, simply, as far as we understand, a placement hearing to move the child from Louisiana to Texas, and it was denied. So we don't know what that means for the future. We don't know what that means in the long run. Uh, there are uh, about a thousand unanswered questions that we have, but what we do know it means is that right now, 
she's not coming to live with us. So there's while that's going on. It's hard. The wilderness is hard. Particularly the wilderness of your own making or your own choosing is hard. But y'all, even when we're in the smack dab middle of God's will, it's still hard. There's no guarantee things are going to be easy just because we're uh, doing what God tells us to. As a matter of fact, the guarantee is the opposite. It's guaranteed to be hard because the world's against us. The devil's against us. Anytime we say yes to God, the devil puts on his armor and he comes after us. My question for you this morning, are you in a wilderness of your making? Maybe you're not in a wilderness of your making, but I'm specifically asking you if you're in a wilderness of your making. It took us about two or three years, I think, to realize we were. You might not realize it yet that you are, but I want you to begin to look around and say, is what I'm going through now, is this a wilderness time that God is going to use to purify me, to correct me, and to teach me to say yes to him, whether it's your making or not. The second question I have for church members is, is our church in a wilderness of our making or of someone else's? I've only been here in a year and a half. A year and a half. If you say, yes, we're in a wilderness, uh, and it started X number of years ago, unless you say it started a year and a half ago, um, I can say, you know, it wasn't my doing doesn't take my responsibility away though are we in a wilderness as a church of our making now there are other reasons why we might be in a wilderness then we need to take stock and pray and see what God is telling us to do it took us well let's see 2004 was really when we began to pray and, and really try to see what God wanted us to do. It was 2011 before I ended up doing what God had told me to do in 2003. So for seven years, he was molding and making and correcting and leading and guiding. So it might not change overnight. It won't change overnight, whether it's your personal circumstances or uh, the church in the wilderness. But I can tell you right now, as an individual or as a member of this church, begin to say yes to God now. Write him a blank check, sign it, and give it to him. Don't ask him what amount he's going to put in. Don't ask him if your account can cover it. Give him the check, let him sign it, and let him cash it. There is no guarantee that it won't be hard, though. There's no guarantee that everything's smooth and fine. Um, but I would rather it be hard in God's will than it be hard in the wilderness. I'll take hard in God's will any day over hard in the wilderness. This morning I'll ask you, maybe you aren't wandering. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, so you feel like you're in a wilderness, and, and you are separated from him but it's not a, a a wandering you are lost this morning you can be saved you can say yes to jesus my testimony is a cautionary tale 
about a believer saying no. But as an unbeliever, you say no too many times and you may use up your chances. And you may not have an opportunity again, only because you may not have tomorrow guaranteed to you. So this morning, I want to encourage you believers to say yes. Choose to say yes. Choose to write God that blank check and give him everything. Unbelievers, I want you to choose to say yes to Jesus this morning. Know that God is holy and just and that he will judge sin. Know that you are a willfully sinful and fallen and you are destined for everlasting torment and judgment because of your sin. But know that Jesus has died for your sin. He is the perfect son of God who took our place and our sin on the cross. He died for everyone. He rose three days later to prove he had power over, the sin, over sin. And today you can say yes to him. No longer be lost in the wilderness. No longer be uh, perishing in the darkness. You can repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him. And then live for him. Give your life to him. And you will no longer be lost. You may still be wandering. It may take you a while to get out of that wilderness that you're in, but you will be found. Believer, what is your decision this morning? What do you need to say yes to God about that you've not said yes? What do you need to let go of? The answer is everything. The answer is everything is his. Will you say yes? Will you sign the check and give it to him and say, God, cash it for whatever amount, you want. Let's pray. God, I thank you that as we've learned through experiencing God, to see where you're working as we learned, even as we began a new uh, unit in uh, Sunday school this morning in Esther, that you are always working behind the scenes. And, and even in things that are seem so insignificant, we may never know their purpose and what you're going to do through them later on. So, God, we know that you can use our wilderness wanderings, as I pray you have used my wilderness wandering to, to minister to people this morning. You can use those in your providence, in your uh, kingdom, for your glory. And I pray that you would do that this morning. Thank you that wildernesses aren't permanent if we will say yes, that you want to bring us out. You want to show us the promised land. You want to give us what is best. And God, we can, we can experience that if we will turn to you. Lord, I pray for someone here this morning who's wandering in a wilderness and has refused to say yes to you, that they would say yes. God, I pray this morning for someone who is lost in the wilderness, never known a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that they would say yes to Jesus this morning. Move in this place. Move on hearts today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how should you say yes this morning? How should you respond? Should you accept Christ? Have you accepted Christ and need to be baptized? Do you want to come and talk about that? Do you need to say yes to him this morning about something else? Come out of the wilderness. Begin the process of getting out of the wilderness. Say yes at these prayer rails. Have me or uh, Tom pray for you this morning. And say yes. Whatever your decision is, Let's take a few minutes as we sing and do business with God. Stand with us.